Beyond the Pillion is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kaurna people, and we would like to pay our respects to elders, past and present. Welcome to Beyond the Pillion. This is episode 10, and today we're talking about bike security and how to reduce the chances of your bike becoming a statistic. My name is Kahi Wasabaya. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the chaotic one. And my name is Mark Drexler, he, him pronouns. And today I got retaught the lesson that just because it's sunny outside where you're living doesn't mean that it's dry everywhere else you're about to ride your motorbike. Uh, check out my Instagram feed on Drex Rides to see just how full of water my shoes and socks got along with every other part of me. You check did radar, come folks. back thoroughly damp. Check the radar. Always check the radar. <laughs> now, according to the National Motor Vehicle Theft Reduction Council, or the NMVTRC, as I guess they prefer to be known, bikes make up around 5% of all vehicle registrations in Australia, but they account for 15% of the total vehicle thefts. And we have in our midst today a victim of motorcycle theft right here in the room. Kahiba, tell us what happened. <laughs> I feel like I keep sharing all of my trauma stories on this podcast. I'm not sure if that's fair. Yeah. But yes, uh, I, I'm probably the most recent um, victim of theft uh, in the house. Um had my Yamaha R3 stolen. Um, we were staying overnight in a hotel and I'd parked the R3 just in the car park, locked it, um, came back out in the morning and there was no motorbike anymore. Uh, yeah. Sickening feeling, isn't it? Do we want more Walking details than that? Out. Are we coming back to that later? It was thoroughly sickening. Um, huh. Yeah, definitely right in the gut, actually. Um, yeah, it was quite upsetting. And then, of course, from there it was reporting it to the police and going through the process with your mm -hmm. insurance, which we will touch back on later on. But um, one interesting thing as well is uh, the conversations that you had with the hotel trying to get any any footage of what had happened. Tell us about that. Mm. Yeah, so they did have security cameras in the car park covering um, mm -hmm. a fair chunk of the car park, but I had in my not quite wisdom um, had parked over by a fence trying to keep it out of the way, I think might have been my logic. Um, mm. And uh, that was right in the spot where basically black hole for all of the security cameras and there was next to zero mm. direct footage covering that particular spot. They saw some spots kind of in and around it and so they were able to capture yep. footage of um, I think a couple of people being very interested um, or, or pausing the car around the bike um, but nothing particularly mm. concrete. Mm. Mm. And until there was the footage I think of your bike being wheeled away and that was the end of it um, until it was yes. until it was discovered in someone's shed, I believe, wasn't it? Um, in a pretty bad state. Yes, it was. Um, they've uh, 
got a call from some police officers saying um had i uh, given permission to a, this particular person um hmm. to have a possession of my bike to which i said no uh and um they made me aware that they'd found it in very very unhappy unrideable condition hmm. uh which later hmm. meant insurance um deemed it as a complete write-off Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of closed the loop on that bike. Yeah. And that was that one. Yes. So um, mm. moral to the story of all this, and we'll, we'll touch back on that, um, on Kahiwa's story about R3 throughout this episode, but motorbikes are much easier to steal than the majority of cars. They are obviously a mm. lot smaller. They're a lot lighter. And depending on the bike you own, they can also have far less sophisticated security systems to keep them safe. Mm. Yeah, um, and I think one of the other interesting facts out of that uh, kind of council is that the smaller capacity bikes are much more likely to be stolen than the larger ones, which I suppose makes sense mm. given, you know, smaller capacity, probably a lot lighter, but easier to roll or to lift up onto a trailer or similar than some of the bigger, heavier bikes that are starting to get into the two, 300 kilo kind of realm. Um mm-hmm. But one of the things that I thought was most interesting was that two-thirds of thefts mm. of motorcycles occur from the owner's home. Does this yes, kind of indeed. ring true for you, Mark, in your experience? Well, the where they get stolen from, so working in a dealership, we do, um, you know, fairly regularly do insurance insurance work on, on bikes that have been stolen and recovered. We don't get mm. to find out where they have been stolen from. So I was quite surprised, um, oh, okay. like you were seeing, that the majority of them happen from home. But certainly in terms of the bikes, the more common bikes that I have seen come in, yeah, absolutely, they are the the smaller, uh, smaller, lighter, cheaper uh, bikes. And I think part of it is because they're just smaller and they're easier to move. Um, but mm. also I think the other thing that that more, that the bikes in those categories or in that category uh, have is a much more lightweight security systems. So once you start dealing mm. with larger, more technologically sophisticated um bikes then many of them or at least ones that have been made in the the last probably five to ten years uh, not only do they have the physical locks but they also have preventative measures in there that mean that even if you were to try and hotwire a a bike so for example and a yamaha r1 for example so 20 something thousand dollars worth of motorbike um, even if you were trying to hotwire it, then it needs a key that has a little microchip in it, uh, which is connected to the mm. computer that is basically the brain for the motorbike. If there is not that electronic pairing as well as the physical connection that needs to be made, then the bike just won't run. So it's quite rare to see more modern, larger bikes so far in my in my work be stolen compared to, um, yep, scooters. Scooters, mm. I, I've seen several of them that seem to be very easy targets because they are so small, light, and just really basic in the way they're put together, which is why people buy scooters, because they're cheap, they're easy, but unfortunately that also means that they are... Uh, not exactly laden with technology that will stop them being stolen. So, and um, 
the, the most common types of damage that we see uh, for theft is um, smashed ignition barrels, um, probably with a screwdriver mm. or something, I am guess, to try and turn the key, uh, smashed steering locks on the bike. So depending on the bike, um, if you just belt the life out of the handlebars hard enough, then, yeah, sometimes you the, um, you can d- damage the bike, obviously, but uh, they're not necessarily strong enough to, to withstand a significant amount of force on the steering lock. Um and chopped mm. wires so i don't know maybe people who've watched tv and think oh well if i just cut some wires and hot wire it like you see on tv then it, then it will work maybe that does <laughs> maybe it does work for some bikes but we we tend to see the we tend to see the other end of it um and mm. right through to bikes that uh, some have just either attempted theft or theft by doing things like that others that have been um stolen ridden and ridden in very irresponsible bad for the engine type ways so um yeah kahiba's bike when it came back yeah had um as we found out later long story but had engine damage to it as well because of whatever had been done to it while it was away uh fairing damage so a lot of if it's just people <laughs> stealing them to go for a for a bit of fun you know, take it out, ride it hard, throw it down the road, or just dump it on the side of the road when they're done. So, um, mm. yeah, um, there can be all manner of things that are done to done to bikes. And I can't recall what the figure was, but I think it might have been about half of bikes that are stolen, which, again, is from that um, Anti-Theft Commission report. Uh, about half of bikes that are stolen don't end up being recovered, which I'm guessing means they are chopped up for parts mm. and never seen again. So, so yes. Well, certainly, um, my bike when it was found uh, had a number of things missing on it or mm. were damaged, and so I think the assumption being that um, the person who had taken or had possession of it um, was trying to separate out all the different parts to maybe try and get some money for those. Um, mm. But yeah, there was also that evidence of having been ridden. Um, hard, uh, not yes, in a way indeed. that really shows care of the vehicle at all. Um, but the, that point you had there around the more modern bikes and the larger bikes and those keys, I think that's kind of coming back to some of our earlier episodes around caring for your bike and thinking about your documentation. If mm-hmm. your bike has one of those um, keys, then... Um, making sure that that's kept in a really safe place so that if you do need to replace your key, that you've got that there to be able to um, uh, connect those Mm. up. Otherwise, yeah, you're up for some serious money replacing that. Isn't that right? Yes, had to quote one up the other day for an MT-07, Yamaha MT-07, so the same as yours, Kahiwa, that uh, someone had bought Mm. and didn't get a master key with it. And I think it was about two grand in parts and about probably another five, six, seven hundred dollars in labor to replace all of the keys uh, right across the bike. So not just the barrel in the ignition, but also the seat lock. And what's the other one that mm. I'm thinking of? There was a third key as well in there as well. That, um, oh, fuel, fuel tank, tank. Fuel tank. So, mm. yeah. Um, mm. Anyway, sorry. 
over to you, Kay, well, before I go down another Keep it hole. in a safe place. <laughs> Keep it in a safe place. Yeah. And so I think as we've we've talked in other um, episodes, you know, there's there's being aware of the risks and then there's thinking about, so what can we do to actually reduce those risks of having a bike stolen or taken or damaged in that kind of way? And ultimately, I think there's, there's no foolproof way to prevent it completely. Um, mm. Instead, the best thing that we can do is try and make your bike too much of a headache for um, prospective thieves to really bother with, which, you know, doesn't solve the problem at the heart of it, but it does mean that um, you're going to be less likely to have something opportunistic happen uh, to your vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, what's the, the first thing that we can do to um, make it more of a headache or make yes. it harder for someone well, to take a bike? Yep. Um, firstly is thinking about where you are parking and leaving your bike uh, wherever you go, really. So that interesting mm. statistic about two-thirds of bikes being stolen from uh, from where they regularly live uh, certainly means when you mm. are parking your bike at your home or wherever you live, then, I mean, the, the ideal scenario is park it in a, in a locked garage, locked shed somewhere that is locked up. If you can't do that, mm. then um, do everything you can to try and park it out of sight of, of the road. Uh, to the to the best of your ability, depending what you've got. Um, if you can't mm. do that, then try and at least think of where you could park it, where it can't be easily moved out overnight. So, if you're in a block of block of townhouses, units, flats, something like that, then can you block it in behind a car um, so that at least it's mm. it's not easy to get you? You've got to move the car to move the bike. Um, not uh, you know, not necessarily making it convenient for you potentially, but it's also making it a lot, um, as Kay was said, it's just trying to make it painful for someone to try and steal it and take it away um, and mm. thinking about the best spot you can do at your home to leave your bike is a very, very good place to yep. start. Uh, second one, and this is having a look back through through that report, uh, particularly if you are parking in the city. So parking in city areas, uh, so that, that report is for Australia. Looking at the stats right across, it doesn't matter which uh, which state you live in, uh, bike theft is most commonly occurring from the city centre, from the, from the, the CBD. Mm. And I suppose that makes sense because people ride their bikes into work, they commute into work, they leave them parked somewhere and... Boom! It's like a, you know, a a smorgasbord for thieves to wander around and take which one looks the easiest or mm-hmm. the nicest or the the, um, the the best one to to pinch. So, if you are parking, particularly in the city, but really any anywhere, um, this is going to sound dumb, and I'll probably say it particularly for nighttime stuff. But consider whether a paid parking <laughs> lot is worth the money. It's like, you know, so many people, me included, mm. have a motorbike so I don't have to pay for parking. Depending on the circumstance, <laughs> do have a look around, do some searching. Some car parks, I believe, have cheaper motorbike parking. So like Boomgate lockable car parks that mm. have specific bike parking that's like half the cost of what a car would, would cost to be in there. Um, have a look around where you're going and just weigh it up as to how paranoid you are and whether it feels like it's worth the money. 
if you can't mm. do that or you don't feel like doing that, then wherever you are, at least try and park in the busiest, most well-lit if you're going to be leaving it there at night and conspicuous place. Put it as out in the out in the open as you can in terms of other sets of eyes watching it to try and be a um, mm. just another discouragement. Again, going back to what Kay was said, just make it – yeah, make it a pain. Make it something that a, a thief will look at and think, yeah. no, that is far too busy. It's sitting right under a street light park next to a you know, a 24-hour servo or something like that. Yeah, okay, that's got a lot of eyes watching it and and a lot of security cameras as well. So don't be afraid to have a bit of a mm. look around and see if there are security cameras that, as Kahiba found out, Um yeah, if you've got good security camera footage, then odds are thieves are going to be noticing that as well. Mm. Yeah, I think mm. that one, in conversation with the, the hotel staff at that particular place, there were a couple of car parks that I could have parked the bike in where there would have been yep. really clear um really clear coverage from the security cameras, much more lighting, mm -hmm. um, a lot closer to where lots of people would have been walking past um, that yep. I didn't do. Um, but, you know, we live and we learn. <laughs> we live and we learn. And ever since I've been back to that same to that same hotel and a pub, um, yeah, I park in one of those spots now that is right next door. Yeah, mm. ne next door to the to the building under the sec the security camera and right next to a, a whopping great light. So, yep. yes, um, I have learned from your pain. So, mm. as have so, I. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so those so yes, are those are some things location, to. Location. Yeah, um, but I suppose the the second part of trying to make it a bit more challenging for or discouraging for someone to to take your bike um, is to actually try and make it a bit harder to steal if they do actually have a go. Um, mm. So the first one, which is should be obvious, um, but not always, but is to at the very least always use a steering lock. Um, mm. To lock the bike, it just makes it that little bit harder to move the handlebars um, and you know get the, the bike on a roll and, and steer it away. Um, a second thing uh, that I now use very regularly and one of the reasons why I love having a top box uh, because I can just chuck it in there is a disc lock, uh, particularly the ones with an alarm. They are, mm. you know, far less than, uh, you know, 100 bucks. Um, they not only make it a lot harder to move because the lock, for those of you who aren't aware, and we'll, we'll make a little video to show how they work, yep. um, they attach to the um, uh, brake discs. Um, and so eventually if you try and move, roll the bike, then that will you know, hit onto the forks and, and make it impossible or very, very difficult to continue rolling. So mm. they make it harder. Um, and if you've got one that has an alarm, they are horrifically loud. Like I would say mm. 10 times worse than most car alarms. I think a lot of people have learned to kind of tune those out. It is mind-brained piercingly horrible. 
<laughs> when I have forgotten to it, yeah. undo it or, or you know, gone to move the bike, it is, it really does kind of pierce through like little stabby things into your brain. Um, so they make it a lot more obvious that uh, something is happening, that a bike is being stolen. They require the key to um, turn the alarm off so it's not like a little pop-pop kind of deal. Um, and, yeah, again, that's going to make it probably uh, pretty discouraging for a lot of people to then continue mm. hanging around with that bike with that much noise happening as well as difficult to move. Um, one of the things that I think are really useful with those that come separate, I don't know why they come separate, they should just come as part of it, but never mind, is a little curly-whirly thing. I don't know what the proper term for it is, but it connects from the, the actual disc either, yeah. lock up to your handlebar. We'll have a look. Um, but it's a curly willy. It's a little springy wire thing that you attach onto the handlebar, very brightly coloured, just like the disc locks themselves can be, um, to remind you that you've got it on, um, which is always useful, particularly for someone who can get distracted or into, um, you know, just go into an automatic mode. Um, it can mm-hmm. be easy to forget that you've got it on until you try to start moving the bike and then all of a sudden the alarm goes off and you're frantically trying to get the side stand and off the bike and get your key and and unlock the disc lock. So that's very, very handy, but also serves another point of being a really clear visual signal that there's something on this bike that's going mm. to make it um, Spot on. less attractive to, to have a go. And if that's still not enough with the steering lock, with a disc lock, um, then one of the other options um, is to just chain your bike to something. And this is, I think, particularly important Mm. if you've got a smaller bike, um, smaller capacity or a scooter, one of those ones that's weighing 100 kilos or less, um, because those are actually really quite easy to just pick up and put into a car Mm. trailer or a ute or something. So like you might do with a bicycle, just getting a chain and chaining the bike up to something that uh, is even more difficult to to lift up and move. Um, I think it's worth saying that all of these things, they're not going to prevent it completely. Um, If someone really has the intention and desire to uh, take a bike that isn't theirs um, and they have the specific tools or devices, then, yeah, they can get through steering lock or a chain or somehow get around a disc lock i don't know Mm. how but it's possible so this is not about reducing it completely making it impossible it's just about really reducing the chances that someone looks at it and goes oh that's a bit interesting or you know some people have been out under the influence of of alcohol or drugs or something and just make some poor spur of the moment decisions because they think that it might be fun or funny um making it just that little bit more difficult requiring to them to do a little bit more cognition about mm. their decisions in life. Um, so, Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, so it's thinking about, as Mark said, location um, and as we talked about, physically trying to make it more challenging uh, or discouraging um, for someone to have a go mm. at taking a bike that isn't theirs. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now we've talked we've talked about prevention so far, uh, but it is also a good idea to um, to be ready for the event that possibly your bike may be stolen. Mm. 
Uh, now, one uh, so a couple of things there. I'll talk about the first one of these is making sure that you have the vehicle identification number, which mm. is the Australian term for any overseas listeners. I'm not sure if it would be called the same thing, but the unique identifier of your of your motorcycle. Um, in Australia, it's typically um, in a couple of places um, stamped on the frame. So it's a, ooh, now is it 16 or 17 alphanumeric? I should know that. I think it's 17. It doesn't matter. Um, it'll be stamped on the frame and... I know. Just I should know these things. Um, stamped on the on the frame, so into the actual metal, so very difficult to get off, mm. and probably on a metal plate as well somewhere on the vehicle. It's probably also written down on your documentation. So if you bought the bike mm. from a dealership, it'd be on there. Particularly if it was new, it would be. Um, it'd be on the contract of sale. It would be on your registration papers. Uh, just make sure that you are keeping wherever you keep it, just make sure you keep that vehicle identification number and the engine number written down mm. somewhere. Um, this will really help police track down your bike if it does get stolen. Uh, registration plates on a motorbike are very easy to change over. You pinch mm -hmm. another one, you swap it and you put it on, on, on the bike to try and make it appear like a different bike. The VIN is the thing which really is identifying your bike and, mm. um, yeah, very, very difficult to, uh, aside from grinding it off the frame with an angle grinder, that's about the only way that you will, uh, that, that a thief will be able to um, try and hide the identity of your bike. Mm. So, um, yeah, know your VIN, write it down, keep it somewhere safe, make sure that you can access it in the event of, of the worst happening. Yeah. And and I think finally, and this one might sound a bit obvious, but um, keep your bike insured. Um, and even if it's mm -hmm. only for theft, um, because chances are at some time in your life as a motorcyclist, um, you will go through some experience like this. And um, there are, of course, mm -hmm. different insurers. Um, I personally had a really quite a positive experience with my uh, insurer when my R3 was stolen. Um, really good connection through to conversations with the police about what's happening um, and with their assessor um, and quite a, a positive outcome um, and you know, very little kind of questioning about what had happened and why. Um, so, it was a really nicely smooth process to eventually get um, paid out because the bike was classified as a complete write-off, even though it was found um, mm. because of the extent of damage that was done to it. So, you know, think about, you know, as Mark was saying, one of the reasons that we might ride a motorcycle is because it's a lower cost. That includes insurance. Insurance for a bike um, is a lot less mm. than for most cars, particularly if you're on the smaller end and if you've got lock-up garages and similar. So it's depending worth... Depending on the bike. Depending on the bike and depending on you know, your license and your age, as with all things. But generally mm. speaking, it is going to cost less than it does to insure a car. So um, in my opinion, I think it's worth it considering the higher risk of something happening to a motorcycle um, that... Yeah, it, it's it's going to have less overall impact, even though we might be quite emotionally attached to these bikes. <laughs> mm. 
Which you were, which you very much were. Which and it was I a very was. good thing. So you did do that. That was one of the things. That was one of the things that you definitely did right to have um, the right insurance on your bike, mm-hmm. including the extras and everything else, so that you were covered and everything worked out as good as it could have had. But looking mm. back at the rest, so possibly the leading up to the theft of your bike, um, what could you have done differently now looking back based on what we've said here compared to what you did when yours was stolen? Yeah, so I think as as we've kind of already covered parking, um, parking in a, in a spot that was mm. closer to the door where more people would be walking past uh, under better lighting, better coverage mm. from the security cameras, um, I think that's probably the first thing. Secondly would have been to um, have a disc lock on it um, to make that physically Mm. just a little bit more challenging. Um, Other than that, I think given where we were, we were transitioning between houses and staying somewhere, it wasn't feasible to really lock it behind a garage or similar um, because it no. needed to get moved and so on. Yep. Um, so those are probably the main things that I would have I would have done. I think on reflection, um, what I think worked well was absolutely having that insurance um, set up and having spoken to the insurers and having the receipts also actually for all of the uh, the gear and the additional stuff that I had on the bike, like the rack and the top box. Mm, that's um, true. And the receipts yep. for for like my helmet and stuff like that. Um, so that was also included in the overall kind of coverage and payout. So I know for some insurers, if you make modifications or buy accessories, you either need to have a specified amount or specified items under your insurance policy. So if you are investing in some of that gear or um, add-ons or modifications to the bike, then think about how quickly you can update your insurance policy or when you're setting it up to make sure that you've got the right kind of coverage to get all of those things as well. Because hmm. you know, on top boxes, it's a fair few hundred dollars. So um, it was it was very handy yep, to be able to have that covered actually. Rack. Mm. Yeah, because that, that would have been about 600 bucks, I think, for the, both the box and the rack to mount it to the bike, I think. So that was yeah. definitely, it was worth insuring. It's another 600 bucks. Absolutely. So I think those are probably the the main things. So your takeaways from today. Um, so we've talked about trying to trying to keep your bike yours. Um, the first thing is to to really be aware that motorcycles are relatively easy targets for theft, particularly for opportunistic theft. Um, so be vigilant about how you protect your bike. Um, yeah, you don't have to make it impossible for your your bike to be stolen, which you know, isn't really a feasible thing. You just have to try and well, the goal is trying to make sure that it's not the easiest bike to be stolen. So thinking about location, mm-hmm. uh, locking away or keeping it out of sight, or just making it physically difficult for someone to to roll it away, to pick it up, to to take what isn't theirs. Um, and uh, hopefully that will help you keep your bike yours. Fantastic. Thank you, Kahiwa. Now, looking ahead to next episode, um, possibly another interview. Uh, the, the response from the uh, episode nine, I think, that was the first interview that Kahiwa did with, with Mary um, has 
yeah, been really good response to that. So, yeah, I think maybe the next one we might do another interview. So stay yeah, tuned. And, uh, we will and, work and out who that's going to be, maybe. <laughs> particularly keen to talk about gear. As Mary mentioned, you know, gear and accessories are really important. So mm. um, I, I, I'm excited to show you through some of the gear that I've got. Uh, and we can also talk about a few other options as well. Alrighty, cool. so with that, um, hopefully uh, you're able to keep your bike yours and uh, until next time, please ride safe and have fun. Beyond the Billion is brought to you by Kahi Wasabaya and Mark Drexler and with the support of Woman Moto, the online magazine for women motorcyclists. Go to womanmoto.com. If you liked today's episode, please remember to rate, review and subscribe and tell a friend. It helps others find the podcast.